Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Tetra Hearing. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience in the field, and our members' stories. Welcome in, everyone. We have an exciting episode this week. We're sitting down with Tom Speezy, Pat Dorsey, and Pete Mueller to talk about the Timber Transfer Pilot. This project is an outworking of our Master Stewardship Agreement with the U.S. Forest Service and is aimed at addressing the conservation issues surrounding catastrophic wildfires in the West. We'll have more on that in 90 seconds. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Yes, sir, everyone, we're here with um, Pete Mueller, Pat Dorsey, and Tom Speezy. Um, this is Gilbert Randolph, and we'll go around the horn and um, introduce everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about the timber transfer program. Um, it's a really exciting conservation project that we're involved with. Um, and I'll go ahead and start. Um, like I said, my name is Gilbert Randolph. I'm a digital media specialist with NWTF. Um, and I'm going to kick it over uh, just right off to Tom. And Tom, if you could just uh, introduce yourself, tell us what you do for the organization. And I don't know if you want to give us like a fun fact about yourself. That's always a nice introduction. Yeah, I don't know what there is fun about me. I have to think a lot <laughs> and hard about that one, Gilbert. But thank you. And uh, my name is Tom Speezy. I'm the National Director of Field Conservation and State Policy for the National Wild Turkey Federation. My uh, primary emphasis is sort of overseeing, leading the conservation delivery for the National Wild Turkey Federation and all conservation staff from the West Coast to the East Coast and North to South. So uh, tr uh, uh, very fortunately for me, I have an incredible staff across the country that makes me look like I know what I'm doing when, you know, it's really all of them. And I greatly appreciate the work that our staff does, our volunteers do, and all of our NWTF to deliver conservation for us. Uh, a fun fact for me, I, I live in Western Colorado. I actually live right in the center of, um, I'm, I'm surrounded by public land on our on our ranch, the timber transport pilot, and we'll talk about the wildfire crisis strategy in the West. I, I look out my window to the south and I see beetle killed forests that I recall back in my younger days, uh, growing up right here in this area, being healthy forests and watersheds, and have watched the change over a long period of time, and and have lived the urgency that we're all feeling right now in 2023 to mm. make a difference on the landscape. And I'll talk about uh, later why NWTF has felt that same need from an organizational standpoint. Mm. All right, um, I guess let's kick it over uh, real quick to Pete. If you want to introduce yourself, um, give us a fun fact. Perfect. Great. Perfect. Um, you know, my name is Pete Mueller. I'm uh, director of communications here with the NWTF. Been with the organization um, more than nine years now. It, it feels like 
feels like it was just yesterday, but it's uh, we have a lot of fun here, you know, helping to tell the NWTF story, telling the works of the volunteers, the the conservation pieces, how it all ties together to to for the overall sake of the bird. A fun fact for me is that uh, um, I actually didn't get my start in turkey hunting until my 20s. And I, I was actually living in Wyoming at the time. And uh, I, I thought I was pretty darn good at turkey hunting after bagging a few birds out there. And then when I moved to the <laughs> southeast, uh, I was humbled quite often for the next few years. Uh, but, um, but you know, it's it's something that I enjoy, enjoy sharing with my kids and everything like that and want to help make sure it's around for the future. Absolutely. And Pat, last but not least, tell us about yourself. Thanks, Gilbert. And thanks for giving me more time to think about fun facts than anybody. But um, so my name's Pat Dorsey. I'm the director of conservation operations for the West region of the National Wild Turkey Federation. So I work directly for Tom and I've got all of the Rocky Mountain states west to the Pacific coast. I also have an incredible staff that helps um, do, do things on the local landscape there. I guess as a fun fact, so I'm, uh, I have a degree in wildlife biology. Um, I wanted to do that since I was about 10 years old. Um, so it was kind of a natural for me, but I was also a kind of a plant nerd. I'm going to call myself. I, mm. I couldn't decide if I wanted to go into forestry or into wildlife. Um, I chose wildlife, but what's cool about the NWTF is because turkeys need healthy forests. I actually get to do both things that I love. Yeah. And you take awesome wildlife photos on the side. I love I just love that you brought up your personal connection um, to this issue, Tom. I think for so many people, um, conservation becomes more than just, you know, like a, a project that somebody's talking about. That's someplace else on the other side of the country. You know, if you're paying attention to the ecosystems around you, you can you can see when they're not doing well and you can see the change happening. Um, and that's, you know, why we exist as an organization is that, you know, we're just a bunch of people that care deeply about the wildlife around us, particularly turkeys and the places that they inhabit. Um, and I, so I want to just segue right into, let's get kind of into the background on how this project started by talking about the master stewardship agreement um, with the U.S. Fish and uh, U.S. Forest Service. We can start with Tom and just talk about what that is, why it's important, how it even started, and we'll we'll get into how that connects to um, the timber transfer project. Yeah, you bet, Gilbert. I'm going to go back just a little bit, and I I will uh, connect some dots here. So starting in about October of 2021, the uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and Chief of the Forest Service Randy Moore announced their Confronting the Wildfire Crisis strategy. And in that strategy, they want to increase forest restoration on Forest Service lands uh, up to 30 million uh, acres across the country, and they want to increase by 20 million acres on all other federal and other types of land that are forested lands across the country. And, you know, that started because the Forest Service land has been evaluated as needing active forest management on over 90 million acres of forested lands across the country, which is an enormous landscape. When you think of the service that Healthy Forests serve and uh, for the National Wild Turkey Federation, we started an initiative uh, with the Forest Service. We co-convened it back in, started in 2019 called the Rocky Mountain Restoration Initiative. It was centered around the same thing. Out of that came what we refer to, and I'll bring it up here because we'll refer to it throughout this conversation today as the four shared values. Those four shared values came from our partners of now over 140 partners that helped the Forest Service and the NWTF in our co-convening of RMRI to identify what the most important natural resources are 
on the landscape. Number one, and not in not in any hierarchy ranking, but I guess the first is water. We all know water is the most important value on the landscape to anything living. And then healthy forests and wildlife habitat, followed by uh, access to safe recreation on public lands. And last, but probably the most, is providing security to communities. Those folks that live in the wildland urban interface that moved there for all the reasons that the other shared values provide on those landscapes. So in, in uh, I guess, in response to the, the release of the wildfire crisis strategy by USDA and the Forest Service, NWTF went to work thinking about what bigger thing can we do? We felt an urgency. The wildfire crisis strategy, and I'm Gilbert, I'm going to get all mom and apple pie on you here for just a minute. <laughs> the wildfire crisis is not a Forest Service crisis. It's an American crisis. There are public lands that our forefathers, Teddy Roosevelt, Gifford Pinchot, saw fit to set aside uh, for all of the values that I just mentioned for the public good in a public trust sort of way and represent an enormous landscape, especially in the Western United States that are on fire now, but also in the Eastern United States where really 70 to 80% of the land ownership is privately owned in the East. Those public lands become real gems in the Eastern United States. In the West, they are the greater land mass. And so the NWTF in January of 2022 developed a written proposal to the Forest Service, and we provided to them four high priorities for our organization to come alongside the Forest Service and address this crisis, if you will. Uh, of course, it has to. It, it's built upon our 40-year partnership that has been incredibly successful with the Forest Service in forest restoration. Turkeys, turkeys, and trees have a lot in common, and we've used this. Uh, analogy a lot i'd like for you to think about for just a second that in 1973 when nwtf started there were somewhere around a million turkeys in the country and and over the 50 years that we've been uh together as an organization turkey numbers have increased to around 7 million birds now we've had some declines recently but if you would just picture in your head that last night every living turkey on the continental united states spent the night in the top of a tree they don't roost on the ground mm. they don't roost in grass they don't roost on cactus maybe they roost on a barn roof now and then, but their number one structural habitat feature across the country is a tree. Whether it's a long leaf in the southeast, a white oak in the east, a cottonwood in any riparian river bottom or a ponderosa in the west, seven million turkeys spent last night in a tree. Now, because of spring turkey season, if they were not in a tree, they might have been in the freezer of one of our turkey hunters. So we're okay <laughs> with that too. That's that's the other part of our of our mission. But as we were developing our strategy for how we were going to help the Forest Service, uh, Pat and I and the other directors of conservation operations sat in on every one of the wildfire crisis strategy roundtables that were held, hosted by the National Forest Foundation. And every one of those, we heard people from the industry and folks from the conservation sector say that the timber industry is has been diminishing over the last 20 years. Where these high priority fire sheds are that are identified in the crisis strategy are too far removed from uh, from logging mills, from the infrastructure to actually process mm. it. So let's move the landscapes closer. And we knew that was problematic. The science that actually determined where those high priority fire sheds ought to be would be uh, the integrity of that science would be compromised. We What we started thinking about is how can we move the forest products from areas that are oversupplied to undersupplied uh, high demand mills where the forests aren't supporting what their volume needs are. <clears throat> Lo and behold, as we approached the Forest Service with that, they already had such a pilot that they were contemplating between a timber company in the Black Hills uh, of Wyoming and forests in the 
very over densely uh, supplied timber areas of Northern California in region five of the Forest Service. And so was born the partnership between the National Wild Turkey Federation, the US Forest Service and Nyman Timber, uh, Nyman Family Timber Operations in the Black Hills of Wyoming. It's been referred to as the timber transport pilot, as a timber transfer pilot, and more recently as the risk uh, reduction solutions pilot that really talks more about the greater risks to those four shared values that I mentioned a little bit ago. This pilot uh, was thought about, conceptualized around, and is currently, and, and we'll talk a little bit more in detail, and Pat knows this very, very well, that this pilot is now operationalized and that we are moving timber from Region 5 on the Klamath National Forest by rail car, rail cars that have been repurposed since the 1940s to move timber all the way from the Klamath to, um, to the Hewlett Wyoming sawmill that the Nyman family operates. And there's a lot more detail to get to the point that I just stopped at. And I want to stop there for a minute, Gilbert. That's really the background of how we got there. The NWTF knew that this crisis was an American crisis and NWTF needed to be part of the solution. It's not mm -hmm. a spectator sport. It's something that we have to actively get involved in. And, the, and you know, when you think about our mission centered on the conservation of the wild turkey and our hunting heritage, not always will this part of what we're doing be centered directly on a wild turkey. But that old saying, what happens at the head of the watershed doesn't stay there. And as as those things that we do in watersheds have the trickle-down effect, a, a wild turkey's involved about anywhere in the West when you start at the head of a watershed. And uh, so, like I say, I want to stop right there and give pause. Yeah, you know, there's so much to to go into on that, and um, the one of the um, immediate things that comes to mind, maybe Pat, if you could speak to this, is I think the general public, um, when they think of the West and they think of wildfires, um, obviously, wild, you know, fire is is part of that landscape. It's part of the ecosystem. But I, I think maybe a lot of people don't quite understand. I think there's more public awareness now um, as more information gets out that um, fire suppression and the overstocking of those areas um, is leading to a different type of fire than what is beneficial for that landscape. Um, when, you know, you're talking about crown fires and, and the types of fires that, that it's, it's not a regeneration of that landscape, but it, it actually devastates it. Um, and maybe Pat, if you could talk a little bit about that and why, why what we're seeing now is different than the, the sort of fire that, that we want on the landscape that we would encourage on the landscape. Yeah, Gilbert, you, you nailed it on all points. You know, the, the West always had wildfire, but they were much smaller in size and they didn't burn nearly as severely, but they did burn more often. And so what we've seen in the West, and it, it gets pretty complicated, but and everything's interconnected. You know, we um after the big burn of 1910, the the US Forest Service and other people started suppressing fires. So we were going on over 110 years of fire suppression in a lot of these landscapes. The West is hotter and drier than it used to be just by virtue of the fact of how the weather is changing. We've got beetles on the landscape now. We have diseases on the landscape now that we've never had before. And to your point, we, we've got these, these conditions where in, in some cases we used to have 50 trees per acre. Today mm. on those same landscapes, we might have 500 trees per acre. Mm. And so when we get a fire in there, instead of it staying on the ground and burning at low intensity, it goes into the crowns and it just races across the landscape, taking out everything. And in some of the landscapes in the West, what we've seen is, you know, not only are the trees gone, but but trees don't regenerate because the, the fire burns so hot that the soil is in a different condition. The seed bank is gone. Mm. And so... Not only are we losing wildlife habitat in the short term, because generally 
you know, the, the wildlife habitat would get regenerated too, but we're losing wildlife habitat in the long term. And to Tom's point, that being an American crisis, you know, um, if some of these forests we'll never see in, in our lifetime, and I'm old, Gilbert, but you're a young guy, we won't <laughs> even see it regenerate in your lifetime or your, or your grandkids lifetime, you know, I mean, it's pretty serious stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, Conditions have changed, and I'm glad the NWTF is a part of it. Um, I'm glad we're trying something creative that, you know, the old way of doing business wasn't getting us very far, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's, uh, I think, kind of when you talk about the not seeing a, a piece of habitat regenerate in your lifetime, it's, it's this sort of um, severity of that is is pretty shocking, you know, if, as a, as a hunter or, or even as, you know, just anybody who just en enjoys nature. Um, I feel like that's a pretty powerful call uh, to action of, of saying, Hey, like, think about the, the places that you love to be in, to recreate in, to hunt in. Um, you know, imagine if that, that landscape was devastated and it never recovered in your lifetime. And that's, you know, uh, alongside of all of the other issues with, um, you know, risk to people's homes or, um, you know, the, the watershed health, et cetera, et cetera. You have that kind of loss of potential loss of, of that, those places of personal connection and meaning um, like the forests around Tom's home. Um, Pete, I wanted to let you jump in really quick um, and see if you had had some, some questions, uh, maybe some topics that you wanted to discuss before we move further. Absolutely. You know, Tom, Tom unpacked a boatload of information going back to, um, you know, conceptually how this started. Um, one of the things I wanted you to touch on a little bit more, I guess, you know, describe to people is in, in a little bit more depth is, you know, we, we do have the issue of some of the forests are too densely populated. You know, we're dealing with the catastrophic wildfire. Um, but you also touched on just you know, where there's timber being cut and, and close, you know, close proximity to mills and things like that. I think setting the stage for why are we taking timber from Northern California to a mill in Wyoming, you know, we, we need to at least touch on what was happening to timber that had been cut or what's happening to timber that was already taken down and, and, and why there's a need to send it somewhere else, or or what 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 some of the the precursors that led to to this project, and and why we're trying to to help get stuff from A to B when they seem so far apart. Yeah, great points, Pete and Pat, and I can tag team this one. We're so immersed in in all of this. Let me talk first then about the receiving end of the timber timber transport in the Black Hills. The, and I won't go into a lot of detail here. Just suffice to say the Forest Service and all the partners along with the timber industry in the Black Hills of South Dakota and Wyoming have been uh, reevaluating the way the timber and the volume of timber that's been harvested from the Black Hills there locally. And they're there are a number of mills that uh, rely on the Black Hills in South Dakota and and in Wyoming for supplying the timber to those mills. But remembering that the forest plan that really delineates how the forests are to be managed, including timber harvest, uh, it, it lays out the type of timber to be harvested, the volume of timber to be harvested, the landscapes to harvest it in so that it's it's managed in a way that is sustainable for the forest first for the ecological values that that uh, exist on that forest and then the volume that's supplied to the timber mills is the result of what the forest plan lays out can happen and so over the past five years or so there's been a lot of conversation about the timber stand density in relationship to habitat quality forest value in the Black Hills in its entirety, in South Dakota and in Wyoming. And there's been a considerable slowdown of volume of timber coming out of the Black Hills, which becomes very problematic for mills that rely on a certain, a certain volume, a certain number of million board feet of logs coming in that sustain that mill operationally, economically, and of course communities rely on that. Put a lot of pressure 
on the Forest Service and on the industry to, to maintain what they have going in that area. And then fast forward to the wildfire crisis strategy and the paradigm that Pat described about uh, you know, stems per acre, trees per acre, that should be around 50 for a real healthy forest condition to 10 times that amount that just creates a uh, a situation, and we talk about it all the time, healthy forests at the right stand density that have not been beetle killed or are not black from burn scar are, are an asset to the national forest. They're an asset ecologically, they're an asset economically, and et cetera. And when that all changes to the condition Pat described, that forest then becomes a liability. What the timber transport pilot does is it creates an opportunity for that liability now timber to again be repurposed in a way that it again becomes a forest asset. And the asset is that the product rather than just being piled and burned, which then adds into the carbon being released into the upper atmosphere, it moves that timber, as long as it still has a value, to a place that can use it for a forest product that has a value. And then the side benefit, and maybe the bigger one, if you live in Wyoming or South Dakota, it keeps the mills operational, keeps the communities vibrant economically, and it takes the pressure off the forest resource in the Black Hills so that it can be managed at the level that's sustainable for the long term. And and I hope that helps, Pete, with what you're asking. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I, I remember early conversations about there being some of the Western mills that were kind of overloaded and they, they had timber that was, you know, going to waste. So, so I think the idea of taking that, that asset or that resource and moving it to a place. And and if nobody knows where Hewlett, Wyoming is, you know, you're talking that uh, Northeast corner um, as a Turkey hunter, you might get to go there someday to chase those white tip Miriams there in the black Hills, or even on the, the South Dakota side around rapid city. Um, but I think if you've ever been to Hewlett, there's not really a lot there. I, I, I want to say that you've got, you know, you you have some attractions like Devil's Tower, but the the town itself is pretty small. Um, you know, maybe one or two stoplights, if that. But knowing that 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 town employs uh, or that that mill employs a lot of folks from the town, I think is is an interesting thing because, you know, the the ecotourism from what spring turkey hunters bring in obviously isn't enough to sustain that community, but this is still a community that that is related to turkey hunting in some way. Um, but I, but I think that that's what helps bring bring things together. Is it if we weren't trying to do something with this timber to help solve that wild that wildfire crisis and take that timber somewhere else? Other it, it may just go to waste to to where we're, we're now helping to provide those local communities some some, you know, much needed life-saving support kind of thing. Yeah. And Pete, if I can help on that end a little bit, you're exactly right. You know, in California, there was so much fire salvage timber that there weren't enough mills that could use it all, you know, so they were putting it in piles and actually burning that, those trees. And now they're getting put to good use. They're getting, um, you know, they're saving people's jobs um, as a consumer or even just as a, uh, you know, a person. I like to think about we use as much stuff. You know, I, I think about eating your mm. animal right from nose to tail. Right. You you use the feathers and you and you you eat the whole turkey. And, and it's the same way with this. It's like, why aren't we using as much of that material as possible? And um, so I think it's important to understand when you talk about transport it it seems like you're taking it from somewhere and moving it to somewhere else. But the bottom line is we're taking it from a place where there is a surplus or a glut. We're not taking it away from anyone. One of the things the Turkey Federation is really conscious about, and so is the Forest Service, is that we keep all of the mills, all of our industry partners whole. We don't want to hurt one partner to help another. We want to make sure that all of the partners are benefiting from this. Mm. I, I think that's a really smart, smart way to look at it. And just just to recap things, kind of where we are right now is again, this this overall program really is is transporting timber specifically for us. 
from Klamath National Forest in nor- Northern California, with the end result being the timber is going to end up in Hewlett, Wyoming. But it's far bigger than that because you are looking at, you know, local mills in in California getting first right of refusal to the timber. But that's that's really what we're testing out here. Um, Gilbert, I'll, I'll kick it back to you to 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 throw in some follow up questions, you know, and just make sure that people understand kind of where we are and how this ties back to Turkey and and how all this is made possible. Can I add one more thing to that, Pete? And that is that, you know, when you mentioned about giving California mills the first right of refusal, the other thing we're trying to do is actually multi-stream those products. So if it's a product that can't go to Hewlett, Wyoming, we are using it in California and and we're going to try to look for as many other buyers as possible or or wherever is closest by that is willing to take that material. And and I think that's important because it's not just looking at one product coming off that forest. We're looking at four or five different streams of forest products coming off of there. How can we use as much of it as possible? Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. I love the uh, that, that concept of of nose to tail. We talk a lot about, you know, sustainability is such a sort of hot term right now. Um, but yeah, it really does. It's, it's cool to see a project that is, that is really trying to address that in some, some really tangible ways. Um, and which speaking of which, um, I suppose we can maybe start jumping into some of the specifics of the, the timber transfer pilot. Um, Kind of so moving from we have the the master stewardship agreement that's addressing wildfire concerns in the West and then so um, can Pat maybe if if you want to talk about what are sort of the um, some of the logistical challenges um, and and details about how this project is happening um, the debarking. Um, of of the timber being one of them and sort of what are the like like you said there's a lot of these different factors that that we're working around and having to deal with and yeah i don't know if you can address that sure i'll take first crack at it and then i'll i'll leave tom to clean up any of the pieces that i leave out or forget about so um the important thing is is this is a um a fire or a burn scar that happened about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And so that timber is almost at the end of its lifespan. If it if it's not utilized within the next six months or so, it probably won't have value to anyone. So, and the interesting thing is if we don't get that timber off of the forest, they can't start reforestation. So they can't prepare the site to replant and all of that kind of stuff. So we're actually increasing the rate at which that area could be reforested as well. And we take all of the logs from that area um, to a mill in Gilchrist, Oregon, where they are debarked if they're going to Hewlett, Wyoming. If they're if they're if they don't meet the standards 
um, to go to Hewlett, Wyoming. They stay there in Oregon, California area, and they get used there. If they do meet the Hewlett standards, we debark them. And um, people wonder why are we shipping naked logs. One of the one of the reasons that we that we take all of the bark off them is we don't want to inadvertently transfer a beetle from one area of the country, like the Northern California, Southern Oregon area to another area in the West that has a different set of insects. And I, I think we've all seen these species that get reintroduced, right, or introduced mm -hmm. into another area and they go crazy um, because the, the trees there would have no resistance to them or whatever. So we're being extra careful. So they actually get debarked at Gilcrest. They get inspected at Gilcrest. We move them to the railroad siding, which is in Klamath Falls, Oregon, where they get inspected again to see if there's any bark on them. Are they, are they totally bark free so they can move them to Wyoming? And then they're loaded by rails. And I think the thing that was astounding to me is, um, you know, you think about going from Klamath Falls to Hewlett, Wyoming, that should take four or five days. It actually takes about 30 days to make that trip because those train cars may get pulled off in one uh, railroad siding um, until there's another train headed to Wyoming and they get put on. And so it takes about 30 days to, to make it to Wyoming, 30 to 60 um, round trip. And, um, you know, when they arrive in Upton, Wyoming, then they are transported by truck to the mill in Hewlett. And I don't know, Tom, did I leave out anything there or Gilbert? Did I cover just about everything? Well, I'll Tom, jump you, in. Hit, you hit the nail on the head. It's it's a uh, it's a very complex process. And I think the part that uh, we get asked a lot about <clears throat> is uh, by the time you do all that, and we've been asked this in other interviews, does it pencil out economically? And the answer is absolutely not. Not if you're just thinking about the wood product on the other end. But if you're thinking about the billions that are spent in fighting wildfires at the level and the frequency and the intensity we're talking about, if you think about the watersheds that are being set back for decades, the soils that are being sterilized, the conversion from one habitat type to another, and entire communities burning to the ground, the loss of human life and property, that it's an easy answer that it absolutely pencils out. I want to mention a couple of things, and Pat alluded to this. Gilbert, you brought up the serving local communities part. You know, I I want to. We've got to do a, a a shout out to our federal government because without the funding that came from the bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act, somewhere north of seven billion dollars for this whole effort, and I mean effort nationally, not our effort. Uh, this type of transportation does not pencil out historically. If a mill is more than 60 miles, six zero miles away from where the logs are coming from on the forest, it does not pencil out economically. These logs are being transported 1,490 miles, takes 30 days. And so that obvious answer of does it pencil out economically comes up. And, uh, you know, I, I want to touch on the process that has been undertaken to make this happen. You asked this on the front end, Gilbert, and the uh, for the for the Turkey Federation to enter into this work, we needed we needed a national agreement. In October of 2022, we entered into I'm sorry, the end of September 2022, we entered into a national master stewardship agreement with the Forest Service. It's a 20 year agreement. The Forest Service made an initial in, a commitment of investment of 50 million dollars in the NWTF to pull this off. That national master is the first of its kind for the NWTF. Uh, Gilbert, it's the first of its kind for the U.S. Forest Service because mm -hmm. it, it, as Pete alluded to early on, it spans all, it, it spans nine regions of the Forest Service that allows us to do work 
anywhere. But then then we needed another agreement. We need an agreement that's under the national master called the supplemental project agreement or SPA for short, if you will. Traditionally, every time we do forest stewardship, which we do in every region of the Forest Service across the country, we've had a separate SPA in a separate a separate master agreement in each region, and then a separate SPA for each of the timber sales. Well, we needed a SPA in Region 5 to, to even begin to do any of the work and to create the mechanism for the funding to be transferred to the NWTF for this work. And it, it took us until February, the end of February of 2023 to get that supplemental project agreement signed, as well as a match waiver request to the chief of the Forest Service that moves our stewardship required match of 20% to a 0% level, which has to occur on any kind of work that you're doing in, under the wildfire crisis because of the amount of money that's involved. Then in addition to that, we needed an agreement with a local contractor we're using, the California Deer Association. They are a local. They know the locals. Mm. They know the forest. They know the vendors. They know the Forest Service. And it's made it's made an incredible partnership between the NWTF and CalDeer for them to be our partner. But we needed a contract with CalDeer. And then Pat mentioned that we become the aligner of product with the end the, the end product folks where if the timber that's going that can't go to Hewlett uh, you know we, we need to find another market for it so we found one timber company called Roseburg timber products we needed a contract with them so we put that contract in place and then last but certainly not least, Nyman Family Timber have a subsidiary company called Forestry First that's all about conservation of national forests as they deliver timber to their mills. And because we then sell the timber that we buy from the Forest Service to Nyman Timber when they haul it to the Hewlett Mill, we needed an agreement. So it took five agreements. And if you think about 14 months is what it's taken to get to the point to operationalize this. Sounds like a long time, but if you think about that we're partnering with one of the largest, most complex government agencies in the country, then partnering with Burlington Northern Railroad. And anybody that's dealt with railroad companies can tell you they're, they're far more complex and bureaucratic than the government. And then all the other entities that I mentioned, 14 months is, is light speed for five agreements <laughs> on the ground and we're actually now moving logs. And I think the other part that I, I want to defer to Pat to talk about is Nyman's investment in the front end of this. This is not a government handout to the Nyman family timber company for this pilot. And Pat, I'll let you address that a little bit. Real quick, Pat, before you jump into that, you know, I just, I wanted to touch on a some key details of what I heard, Tom. And I think one of the, the things that stood out to me is that, you know, this is a project that was made possible through through the 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 Infrastructure Act and through grant funding that's coming from the Forest Service. So th this is work that's being done on top of what we were already doing, leveraging member dollars, super fund dollars for all yep. the, the the great, you know, the, the for all the great uh, positive impact on the landscape. It was already being done, so so this is not diverting money from from what's going on at our banquet levels and things. This is this is new new money coming in to carry out brand new work, and I, I think that that's a key point for for those that are members of the NWTF to realize that being a part of an organization that's been able to to build upon fifty years of conservation work that we're now able to 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 do even more in addition to what we were already doing, but yet we're still sticking to, to our roots of things that are, that are hitting home with the mission. So, yep. yeah. And, but, hit, but then also, even, on the head. but then also even really going beyond that, it, it's also now that this work is, is having a landscape level impact for people that may not care at all about turkeys, but they're able to see the impact of, of what's going on through, Again, through this agreement with the the Forest Service and and really helping to help things out that go back to clean water, resilient communities, you know, healthy forests and abundant wildlife. So, um, you know, Pete, I I always say um, if you drink water or know someone who does, you should join the NWTF. 
because the bottom line is we're doing a, a mountain of work to protect watersheds and water quality from the east coast to the west coast right um and i'm not just being silly about that but but i really think that people that don't know the nwtf that don't know all the great conservation work that we do are missing the boat and um i really like what you said about member dollars not being a part of this but in a way i think you know all of the great work we did before this that was funded with member dollars is what put the nwtf in a position to do this so in a way your membership dollar just went you know a bazillion times that's a technical biological term but a billion bazillion <laughs> times further than than it would have by the fact that you know now we're working on these larger scale agreements at a and a landscape level habitat level oh absolutely it's the the long-standing relationship that we have or that we've been able to build because of our members volunteers is what led to this uh, but i also think it's just important for for folks to realize that it's you know we're 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 still we're still being good stewards of the money that we have elsewhere. But if you were to hear $10 million attached to something going on in California to Wyoming, you you might have concerns of, man, you know, is money from my banquet going to help that? But it's, no, we're still doing the work with your money, you know, and helping to pick and choose things at state levels, you know, that your state boards are doing. But this is something that be, because of the history that we have, we're now able to do that much more. Um, so I, th I think that it's it's all good stuff there. And, you know, I, I think it's also worthwhile pointing out, I believe water is a key component to beer, bourbon, you know, all those other favorite drinks <laughs> that people have. <laughs> um, that's, uh, I, I feel like a, a really good segue into, so the, the fact that this is a, a pilot program, and um, Pete and I talked a little bit about this um, before, but um, we wanted to, to, to ask about, um, what are the potential, uh, what's the potential for replicating this sort of program? What does the master stewardship agreement mean for these large scale uh, conservation initiatives, you know, everywhere else in the U.S., you know, the East Coast and and the Southeast and and some of these other areas that, that also have their own um, issues of conservation concern. Um, what does this allow us to do um, you know, building partnerships in those regions as well. Well, I th I think that um, you know every large tree, uh, and I'll, I'll use ponderosa pine because I'm from the west, right? And um, in these dry fire um, resilient habitats, but but every large ponderosa pine out here, every turkey roost tree started out with a little nut that thought it could could make something bigger. And, and the way that I see this is you had to have this master stewardship agreement in place. We had to have a timber transit pilot in place before we can go on and do bigger stuff. Um, when we started this, people looked at us like we were, you know, some people thought it was way too complicated and other people thought we were crazy. And maybe they were both right, to be honest with you, but we're actually starting to get things figured out now to where once we do have it figured out, the idea was that it would be exportable and it would be efficient and it could be something that we could use in other places. We might have to tweak it a little bit, but we could use it anywhere to help solve wildfire crisis, you know, and in some places in the Southeast, um, there's a glut of timber just due to hurricane damage. And with the humidity and the insects and stuff that they have in the Southeast, that timber probably has a shorter landscape than fire or, or shorter lifespan than, um, than fire salvage timber in the West. And so I don't think we even understand how big this could possibly get. But when you think mm -hmm. about, you know, the, the new emerging markets for, biomass for um, enriching our soils and putting carbon back into the soils through biochar. Um, I think that, you know, the NWTF could really be at the forefront of, of something that's going to be larger. And quite honestly, we're going to have to do something creative. We can't, we can't do what we've always done and expect a different result than we've always gotten. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think this, you know, is, 
is innovative and we may we may fail in some regards and we may succeed in others but the long term is to keep moving and no pun intended but moving this this train down the tracks i like that <laughs> um pete did was there anything else um that you wanted to explore like specifically about the rail program or or other things that we had talked about yeah i think um you know, w- one of the the questions that Gilbert and I had talked about up front was, um, and forgive me if I miss this, but you know, the the rail car pilot that we're doing, you know, is, is this just for the timber that we're cutting in Klamath, or is are we able to use this, you know, are we able to use this for anybody that's willing to ship things and and try to help move timber from you know, from A to B to help maximize the the full use of the resources. But then also, is there the ability for the work with that we're doing um, as a part of the master stewardship agreement? Is that just limited to forest service lands or is it a part of something bigger that we can do if there's uh, checkerboarded properties that are private, things like that? I mean, how, what, what's the overall scope of of effectiveness of what we have going on that that has even a bigger impact than than just on Forest Service line. Hey Pete, let me let me address the first part of your question first about the industry associated with this pilot. And it, you know, this is a pilot. The timber transport pilot was intended to develop a model that can be replicated uh, in other areas with other industry folks. And you know, with any pilot, you've got to start in a place and with an entity. And of course, the place was the places were connecting the West Coast to Hewlett and of course, Nyman Timber, et, et cetera, because the issue going on in the Black Hills was the most emergent Forest Service issue in terms of supply and demand of forest products at a mill. And then the issues on the California coast. Last Thursday, I attended the Federal Timber Purchasers Board and Coalition Conference in Denver, and uh, there were over 100 representatives from the uh, timber industry in the room, as well as probably 20 Washington office representatives from the Forest Service. Um, Chris French, Deputy Chief of the Forest Service, was there. And I presented, I was asked to present on this subject to that group. And I left them all with the challenge. And that challenge answers your question, Pete. This pilot was developed to be replicated, but but it's got to be retrofitted to their needs if they have a willingness and an interest. And I I mentioned earlier, and we didn't touch on it yet, Nyman family has invested multiple millions of dollars out of their own pocket to stand this up. The first logs that came from the West Coast to Hewlett were all Nyman-owned logs that came from their Gilcrest Mill as a proof of concept for the pilot, if you will. They did that on a handshake. There were no contracts in place. So there's a shared investment there. So for someone else in the timber industry, and we've heard from a half a dozen to date that have an interest, but they don't know the detail yet, but they have an interest to try to make this fit somewhere else. My challenge to the industry was if you're interested in stepping into this high risk venue, because there's a risk anytime you try something new and innovative like this, if they're interested in seeing what parts of this can be used with their company to help further what they're doing, if they're willing to share in the investment that it will take to get them started up to give us a call, let's get them in, into this process uh, we've got well, there's a tremendous amount of interest from an inquisitive standpoint, but whether or not another member of the interest of the industry is willing to step in, like we've said, this has been created to do that. On the front end of this, we had a supplier in South Car- in North Carolina that was interested in supplying some wood to other mills that needed in the West, and there's been interest in the in the southeast part of the country now, some in Colorado, some in Texas, and so there's. There's interest out there, but there hasn't been the shared investment yet. So I wanted to make sure I hit on that part. Can you repeat the second half of your question, Pete? Uh, second half of the question was touching on just what, where does the master stewardship agreement allow us, not from a regional standpoint, I guess, but from a land ownership oh. standpoint, um, 
where does it allow us to operate? Is there the flexibility for for it to work on Forest Service lands and also um, private lands that that all make up a forest that would need to be that, that we would need to be able to work within to help mitigate the overall wildfire risk? Yes. So the the short answer is yes. It allows us to work multi-jurisdictional, but here's the bigger piece that is a complexity. So I want to I want to point out that the National Wild Turkey Federation was the first entity in the country to have a national master agreement or any agreement for that matter under the wildfire crisis strategy. We are also the first entity to have a supplemental project agreement, et cetera, et cetera, to date. And so we you know, there's a lot of real good that comes from being first, and there's a whole lot of challenge that comes from being first. We've had to unpackage this thing, realizing the Forest Service has never done anything like this. Neither have we, neither has Burlington Northern, et cetera, et cetera. The, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law and Infla Inflation Reduction Act funding comes in a rainbow of colors. It's not one color that can be applied to one specific thing or one color that can be applied to everything. It comes in a rainbow of colors. And what we found out is, first of all, to answer your question on our agreement, our agreement does not limit us to Forest Service lands only because what we brought to the to the table was our ability to work with the Forest Service, private landowners, the NRCS, state forestry agencies. That's that all hands, all lands approach that's required to really address this crisis. Wildfire doesn't know jurisdiction. And so, so the agreement mm -hmm. is developed that way. More importantly though, the funding has to be brought in the right colors. As we were building out our supplemental project agreement, that uh, was in Region 5 in California, you know, we, we put together an initial budget that said we need this amount of money to do this specific work. And, and then the first money we got was, oh, but you can't use that money for the work you want to do there. And we said, well, bring us the money we can. And so as the Forest Service has had to figure out at their grants and agreements level, uh, they have to bring us the right color for the right work to be done. The answer is not no, you can't. The answer is yes, you can when it's applied correctly. So there's some complexities that go along with all that. And that sounds like an incredibly bureaucratic answer to a simple question. Yeah but it is a bureaucratic application and that's all about the public trust. It's gotta be done in a way that's very defensible to the public on all of our parts. And so applying it correctly is important, but the answer is yes, it can be applied cross jurisdictionally. And in fact, the laws require it to be in terms of underserved communities of the past, et cetera. Pat, is there anything I missed in that long answer? I can't think of anything. You did a great job. I This is so nuanced, and I appreciate you guys asking us a few questions about it because it really is complicated, and it's important work. So, I mean, it's been great to be here and talk about it with you guys. Yeah, and, and you know, this is this is not the last time that, that people will hear about this, um, this project and this agreement. Um, we've been talking about it. Um, ever since it was first signed, um, and as more um, information comes out and and more of the project um, gets moving, um, we'll be we'll be sharing more information about that. Um, I guess uh, before we go, if there um, maybe just to kind of to recap on um, Tom, you had mentioned the that public trust aspect um, of this, and if you guys maybe want to just just recap like. Again, like what is what is the benefit? Um, like what can people hang their hat on um, with with this project and, and projects like it um, from a general public standpoint, but also from, um, you know, an NWTF member standpoint, like what does it mean and and why should we, you know, feel good about about this project? Let me mention one real quick thing in that regard. The timber transport pilot 
I think it's really important to denote and remember is a piece of what we're going to deliver under the wildfire crisis strategy. It's not the strategy. It's the first piece that we stepped out on and we chose to first make this one operational and successful before we started spinning four or five other plates as well. We Now we have a model to follow. So I think that's incredibly important. We're going to be developing those SPAs or supplemental project agreements in every region in the Western United States over time. And all of the capacity it takes to do that, like we've talked about, will be paid for out of this bipartisan and IRA money that comes from the federal government, not a dime of it comes out of the cash coffers of the National Law Turkey Federation. I think the other piece, and Pete brought this up earlier, has to be re-emphasized. This wildfire crisis strategy effort by the NWTF is additive to everything else we're doing. And I can tell you as the National Director of our Conservation Delivery, I fully intend and is already happening. All of the good work that is very mission-centric across the country is still going on with our core staff and volunteers. That will not be interrupted, nor will it be impacted. This is this is that additional piece of our delivery to directly address the crisis going on in the West. Anybody that lives in the East that likes to go hunt deer or elk or, or Miriam's turkeys in the West, they want this work done as well, as well as to Pat and Pete's point of anybody that drinks water or a microbrew wants this done. Or if you downhill ski or whitewater raft or you want to live in a house in the securely in the wildland urban interface. So we're not only affecting our mission, we're affecting the quality of life for humans, not only in the West, but across the country. And I saw a study presented when I was at the Western Governors of uh, the Western Association of Western Governors last fall that showed that the impact from wildfire smoke is not as devastating to human quality of life in the West as it is in the East, because it accumulates throughout the West and and it uh, condenses when it hits the Eastern seaboard. Came from the American Lung mm. Association that those that have um, already compromised breathing conditions or life altering uh, physical conditions are impacted by the wildfire smoke in the West more than those that live in the West are. So it is an American crisis. The NWTF is proud that we're helping solve this and, uh, and it ties directly to our mission and it is still detached from the NWTF and the fact that if the money were to dry up tomorrow, to be frank, that our effort in this capacity goes away as well, while the core work that we have always done and, and that we will continue to do will will move forward. Do you have anything that you wanted to add to that, Pat? You know, the only thing I would add, and and Tom said it several times, and and um, is that this was the bipartisan infrastructure act, right? So when in our country have we gotten Republicans and Democrats to agree that this is a crisis that needs solved? I think it's a huge responsibility that. The U.S. Forest Service and the NWTF and other conservation organizations that are involved in this have taken on to deliver things to our country like, you know, safer forests, cleaner water, all of that kind of stuff. And and people will be watching and we have every intention of of using the money wisely and delivering on the promise that we've made to the American people. And um, I just think that it re it really is important to think about. We often talk about there's a lot of things that ride on the back of a wild turkey. You know, riding on the back of the wild turkey is clean water and riding on the back of the wild turkey might be a deer or an elk because we improve different wildlife habitats while we're doing turkey work. But, you know, in this case, riding on the back of the wild turkey is a promise that we made to the American people to, that we make our forests healthier. It, this has been a, a very, very informative um discussion i'm i'm glad that we were able to get into some of the weeds on this and and talk talk with more and we'd love to to talk more about it i'm sure we'll have that opportunity as more information comes out pete was there anything that else that you wanted to add um before we leave oh, i'd just say that anybody that's you know if if you've 
if you've now dipped your foot in the water of this timber transfer pilot project, you know, all the work that we're doing there, there's just a lot of great resources to where you can, you can dive even further, um, you know, by, by searching that, that, uh, those keywords on our website, there's, there's quite a few other articles that we're, that we're writing that, that go more in depth about, you know, why we're debarking timber, you know, um, you know, what, why we're, why we're trying to improve things on the landscape and, and we're kind of tracking things as they go, uh, or as we hit new milestones with the project to where we're, again, we're going to keep writing about it. So that's, that's one of your places that, that if you, your interest has been peaked here, you know, go to nwtf.org, learn more about things there, and and then even start diving in more on on the host of other ways that we're impacting uh, the the landscape um, for wild turkeys. You know, countless other wildlife species. Yeah, because it's not just it's not just this project. It's wild turkey research. It's all of the local conservation efforts that we have going on through the state super funds. I mean, you can go down a a real rabbit hole looking at all of the work that we have going on nationwide um, in the West and in and, and every other part of the U.S. Um, I guess it, with that, um, thanks, Tom, Pat, and Pete for, for coming in and speaking with us. Um, hopefully we'll do it again. Looking Thank forward much, to it. Gilbert. Thanks, Gilbert and Pete. Great talking to you guys. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you.